Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2023, and thanks for listening to the Rudimental Podcast. I decided to kind of ring in the new year with a new episode with my good buddy and good friend, Cameron Leach. In this episode, we kind of just recap the year that was 2022 for us. Um, we recap our time at PASIC 2022, which was honestly one of the best times of my life, of my young career. Um, getting to hang with him and so many others. We share some some crazy stories from that weekend. And we kind of break down what we think 2023 is going to bring for us. So it's a really, really good conversation. Um, Cameron and I have found out we're basically the same person. So take that as you will as you listen to us babble on. But thanks so much for listening. I hope 2023 brings nothing but prosperous and happy times for you. And as always, it is much appreciated that you tune into this podcast. So without further ado, here is Cameron Leach. gonna get me this i'm sorry but you have to get me the souped up one or just let me buy it for myself so it's like the one terabyte dude the cameras are like unbelievable did uh was it back order like did you have to wait on it uh i don't think they did i think they ordered it and it came in in like two days because they ordered it like when they asked me what i wanted it was like december 20th or something Mm -hmm. you know and i saw i get a message they don't even know that i get a message when t-mobile because i'm still on my family plan you know sarah's on her mom's plan i'm on mine we're like we're 30 years old but our parents keep keep us on our on their plans because i think it makes it easier for them or well, my, cheaper my, maybe my dad's retired at&t so like okay and we get everything cheaper anyway why would i not yeah stay on it so. yeah so i get a i actually get a text when they mess with my account and so i got a text it was like your order shipped i'm like well i think i'm getting my phone like you one know, terabyte, the, huh, dude? That's I was looking at the five twelve, but now you're making me think I should get the one terabyte, dude. I'm telling you, I mean, either one's probably enough, but the cinema camera, like the cinema mode or whatever, which I never even had any of that on iPhone eight. So I'm not like just stepping up. I am like in a different universe now. <laughs> like I think I'm gonna <laughs> use this camera for like anything I would normally vlog on, like a, a camera. I think I can just use my phone. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people do that anyway. Like, it looks so good. The only thing is the edges are fuzzy. Like, it keeps you in focus, but your mm. edge is fuzzy. It's like a video portrait mode, almost. Yeah, it yeah, softens dude. you a little bit, which is cool. But I don't know. Well, Zoom is doing that with my camera right now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they, everything in life's going to be a filter, you know. Nobody's gonna be real here in a few in a few years, uh, Cam. It's gonna be uh, it's all metaverse. We're gonna be doing the podcast in person in the metaverse. Yeah, 
have you done any of the VR stuff? Because I, I yeah. that boxing VR is so fun. I mean, that's like not very realistic, but the golf one's real, like realistic. You can draw the ball, you can fade the ball, you can really. It's legit, bro. Like I, wow. The haptics make it feel like you're actually like, it, it's crazy. Like I thought about getting the the Quest Two or whatever, but mm-hmm. I'm already. I'm already I already waste enough time as it is. So. <laughs> Part of me doesn't want to, like, I don't want to believe that we're moving to that, you know. So it's like if I buy it, I'm accepting it. Yeah, I mean, you're just. It's almost like I'm not saying we're selling out, but it's like stuff so cool. <laughs> like, why would we not? Like, yeah, yeah. If I'm going, if I'm going, and I'm like, you know what? I live in South Texas. It's raining. I really want to play some golf. I'm just going to hop in the VR and I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, That's I'm how they get you. They, yeah. They're going to make us accept our unfortunate fate by just making cool shit. <laughs> Dude. Bring it on, I guess. Zuckerberg's <laughs> a robot, but I mean, like, all his podcasts are super weird, too. They're... And they're not even rehearsed. Like, you can tell when some tech billionaire is, like, rehearsed. Uh-huh. But you look at him, he's like, no, dude, he's just, like, very flat personality. I think Rogan had him on. I think Lex Friedman had him on. And he's just like, nope, here's uh, my personality. And I, you could tell, I don't think he ever, like, wanted that life. Yeah. I think I he was I, just trying to be, like, a computer programming person for a career. And he ends up making... $20 billion or whatever he's worth now. Yeah. I can't tell. I watch those. I, I I can't. I still don't have a good read on, you know, I don't think anybody does. Like, no. <sighs> the weirdest person in history, I think. Yeah. But I, I think when it comes to, well, it's actually this could kind of lead us into PASIC. Have we started? We've probably started, right? Yeah, we've started. Um, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> everybody's like, everybody's like, why don't you ever do it? So I did an intro on the last episode or two last few episodes. Yeah. And everybody's like, you just go straight into the conversation. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, like, what do you, what do you mean? Hey, everybody, welcome. Here's Cameron Leach. <laughs> it automatically like, like tightens your sphincter when you do yeah. an intro. Everybody's because, like. Oh. It puts walls around it. Like now, yeah. it's got to be question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And I'm like, ah, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. Like, just go straight into it. But, uh, it may you know, it makes you think about like this tech immersion stuff and like how we're gonna have chips in our heads and stuff like that. Like, everything's gonna be virtual. We're gonna be going to PASIC in the metaverse. But um, I want to take this time to. Uh, <laughs> I want probably be conspiracies in there too, but. We're, uh, I'm going to, in a Capital Grill, let's keep that in mind. Capital Grill. Dude, so nobody good. knows what we're talking about yet. But uh, I want to congratulate you on a fantastic performance, my friend, at oh. PASIC 2022. Thanks, man. It was dope. That Even was fun. there's no video evidence. Oh, there actually is. There Ooh. actually is. <clears throat> it looks like it was taken on a... VHS tape recorder from the 1990s or something. I did see those camcorders back there. Dude, I, I honestly didn't look. It's not a great way to start talking about PASIC. Hey, let's just take a fat dump on the camera quality. No, but uh, 
I didn't really look on, like, at the cameras when we were setting up in, in the room. I had all night the night before to go back and look at them. But they looked more or less like high-quality high quality 4K camcorders, if that makes sense. Like, Panasonic makes some stuff like that. That's not cheap still, like a couple grand per yeah, camera. I've seen them, yeah. And I, I, they didn't look to me like a DSLR or a mirrorless outfitted with like a like cinema type stuff. It didn't look like that. But I did not expect the, the video quality to look like the 1990s. I mean, it's so bad. I can't use the video anywhere. <laughs> like, the, it you all, can't even it, upload it. Like, it's going to be so choppy on. Well, the, uh, the center of the frame, it's just, you know, a wide static shot, which is what I expected in that room. But the center of the frame is like a, it's like in focus with heavy quotations around that. But as you move out, it's like a fisheye and not in terms of the warp. It's like, okay, better thing. You know what vignetting, like in a photo? Yeah, yeah. It's like vignetting with focus. Like as you move out, it falls out of focus more and more to the edges. And at the edges, there's like two of everything. <laughs> It's so bad. It's bad. It's a bad acid trip at your performance. It, yeah, and and the beginning of the thing, they the sound wasn't on the the sound at the board. So like the first two minutes of the thing is almost silent. So it's just a silent video of you up there just going. <laughs> just acting. Yeah, it's so silly. Um, uh, if anybody no. could possibly, if anybody could could have heard, for those who were there, could have heard his click track, dude. He gave oh, yeah. me he gave me another pack that he had and he just let me listen. And he's like he he's just guiding himself through this <laughs> through this physical performance and it was it was hilarious hearing him just honestly you talked like you talked like way more than I thought you would on that click track. I, it was like guide step by step by step by step. Like I thought it would be more like course nobody knew what to expect but like i i thought it would be more like maybe uh bigger checkpoints but it mm -hmm. makes more sense now seeing like all minor movements were pretty much detailed in that yeah so for, for anybody that is listening what we're talking about is you know on some of my click tracks i will have vocal cues a lot of like i mean you and josh you can totally speak to this like playing drum set there's always chorus checkpoints and verse and pre-chorus and bridge and lead-ins, some people, I think people do the lead-ins differently to those, you know, how many clicks ahead of time. But yeah, like for some of my more detailed stuff, my click tracks will give me every single body movement in a theater piece that's coming up. And so I'm trying to fit like 10 words into a half a second to tell me what's going to happen <laughs> in the next half of a second. And uh, it, it sounds insane. It's like chaos in your head. And so, dude, when, you're when you said that, like, because it doesn't sound weird to me. Like, it just, it feels well, natural yeah. when yeah. I'm listening. But when I went back and I compare, because I've never recorded myself doing that piece. So when I compared that video of what I'm seeing to what I know I'm hearing in my head, I'm like, I can't believe I look, uh, like, as calm as I do when in my head it's like an atomic bomb going off every second. <laughs> of like, listening to instructions. It's a lot of small, it's a lot of, like, smaller movements that you were detailing out, like, it was like, okay, you're going to chase the right hand down and bring the right hand back up, and the left hand's going to shake, 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 or whatever. I, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but um, and my, <laughs> I was definitely more 
I actually didn't take the headphones off at all. I didn't I didn't take the click off at all. So like I'm only getting what you're hearing. That's so funny. And you're selling it. You're selling it so well because like for me, I feel like I'd be a little bit of course it was rehearsed and everything, but mm-hmm. I would definitely be more like tense and like tight, like making sure I'm going exactly by Mm-hmm. what all i'm saying but dude you made it you made it look smooth man i, well, I should have taken it off and on <laughs> and kind of seen what it was like otherwise but um that's wild dude that yeah i um you know it's it, to me it, it feels like it feels like i don't know i mean it is acting but you're 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 trying to not only act in the piece but you're trying to act beyond what you're hearing in your head. But it becomes this thing where you start to like, you almost remove yourself one layer. And so you, you're you like, here I am performing and what I'm giving. Here's what I'm listening to. And you're trying to like manage these things in your head as somebody that's like even outside of that. Like yeah. it almost feels a little bit out of body in some of those theater pieces, I would say. You kind of come back to it when you're hitting an instrument and you're like consequentially dealing with r- right and wrong notes. Um but yeah it's i don't know it's fun it's like a fun managerial challenge on stage and i think that's why i like to do it yeah. some people would probably listen to that click track and say like oh this is cheating like i don't really care you know i don't think it matters i, I don't you, think it matters you, either you some i bet all your favorite bands use a click track on stage it's probably except for like the old timers maybe but like i mean for me i've gotten to the point where it's getting where playing gigs i'm like i almost prefer a click track just yeah it just helps man it helps you relax a little bit i mean there's a lot of musicians out there who don't know how to play with the click but um yeah it's just one of those things where it's if i'm gonna if i can have the guy we're gonna use modern technology to use it i don't see why we can't use it in classical percussion it makes no sense yeah like i think our next video project from momentum for the Gotri piece that we had commissioned i think we're gonna use a click i mean i have no shame in saying that because yes I want it to be accurate, and I want it to be the reference recording, and I want it to be good. So it's like I don't, I don't see any issue with that. I used to, I think when I was younger, I used to like look down upon it in the classical sense, but it doesn't really make. I was like, if I can do this for like a cover gig or like a church gig, like why can't I do it for? Mm-hmm. There's that high society thing. I guess. No, but, the Gotri doesn't have electronics with it, does it? No. Okay, so this is this is an interesting thing. So to use a click on a piece that doesn't have electronics with it. I I know there are people out there that are going to have stronger feelings about that in particular. Um, when I was playing with Orphic, we had a piece, we had a piece like that, that we would play it to a click, even though there was no electronics involved. And, um, and at Eastman, we did that with a piece decay number one by Matt Curley. So th- the thing about that is like, this is when acting comes into play a little bit and it becomes more about like showmanship is you just don't want to look like you're on a click. Right. You know? Robotic. And so, yeah. And not looking at each other and just like head down and playing, it becomes this weird disconnected thing. So the unfortunate part is you have to act like you're not on a click. And then is it, is it weird and fake kind of? Mm-hmm. And, and again, like you said a second ago, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the end result to the audience. But it does make you as a performer have to wrestle with, like, is this bullshit that I'm playing to a click live on a piece that doesn't have electronics, or is this okay? And I think it's okay um, 
because like yeah it it, it becomes it, I'm, I'm gonna try to go a few different directions with this it turns what we're doing into not not artifice but so, sort of sort of like an artificial thing and what it makes it feel like to me this might be a long leap is that it makes it feel like a job and not like an art that we are mm. going for it, like adding that like safety net and that click to a piece that doesn't actually require it just makes it feel like less than in some ways and i know this and and i'm speaking for myself not for your piece like i wrestle with this and then i think like well this is kind of just turning my art that i've always loved my whole life into this weird st uh check in check out or, or punch in punch out on the clock thing that i do because there's a safety net but what i would say is like all of the artists i've played with on stage with orchestras like the who the uh what did we just do recently um andrea bocelli all these guys are coming out there and it's just a job it's not it's mm. like they took care of the art behind the scenes and all this stuff and they get on stage the clicks in their ear the cues are in their ear they just go they, just they get off stage yeah. and, and and it's not like this big thing for them mm. and so i'm like i think actually classical percussion can get more to that point and does that have to do with a click track or not i don't know but i'm making this connection in my head of like you know, jobifying or full or fail safing everything that we do with a click. Yeah. As long as it looks a certain way to the audience. And it's all, it's also holding the integrity of, I think it's more of just ensuring that knowing that I'm going to be the reference recording for this. Mm -hmm. Like I want to, or knowing that we will be, it's like, and it's such a, it's such a, a hard cut, like, there's no, not really any room for um, kind of like some expression when it comes to like stretching and, you know, whatever, doing, doing any kind of that, that, that artistic expression choice. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of like splits. It's a snare drum quartet, you know, so it's... It kind of lends it's, itself. Yeah, so. and it, it's very rudimental. And, it's yeah. a, I, and our job is still to sell it, you know, and to make it, uh, to perform it pretty extensively. Mm -hmm. um, and that showmanship factor that you're talking about is going to be vital, but I just want to make sure it's more of like for, for me, it's more of like a, and an editing sense, it's going to be way easier. <laughs> but um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, oh man, I've spent some time, but uh, it's just making sure. I think it's, it's more about making sure that we're, that we're on our on our stuff with that. I don't doubt. We're like, look, look. Most of the recordings we've made, actually, all of them except for this one, will be uh, have have been just here we go. You know, like let's go, like without mm -hmm. anything. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of like when I was making the reference recordings for um, for us, I made I inadvertently made a click track in Logic, um, mm -hmm. and that was for me, but then realizing it was like, without being too like engineered about it, I think this could work for the recording. Like if I went back and I was like, okay, this has to be right, right there on the third partial of that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. I think it's maybe I can make it like maybe even a half, half the amount of beats, like maybe just every other beat or something like that. Um, it's just to open it up a little bit more because I'm I'm starting to 
I, I don't want it to sound robotic at all. I do want it to be good. I just don't want it to be um, so engineered that it's like, eh, you know, it's just... Yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's so true, though. I mean, the, the thing that we did at Eastman... Well, first off, I don't think there's anything wrong with using a click in a recording session. I think that's like, that's the that's a very sensible thing to do, right? You know, but um, the thing that we did at Eastman Decay Number One was it was such a complicated piece that we could play it without a click, but it was it was like uh, roll the dice. Well, that's know, like Poe, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I played Poe at UNLV, and they exactly. played Poe actually at PASIC, and they're using the, probably the same Florida State click tracks that we used I mean, mm-hmm. they may have redone them or whatever but we use those live and you yeah. have to with a piece like that in my opinion but yeah no no, no. and and um i think you're right though it i i would have never understood the idea of something being over engineered until doing that at eastman and you're right when we came out we have the recording it's on it's on youtube it's the recording of decay number one that's out there it it's too this it's mm. too exact with everything and it's not like we were quantizing things and going back and dragging around, which also there's really nothing wrong with that, too, I think. Like a little tweak here or there. I, I've definitely done it. But in that case, like we we left that alone. But you can just tell, like you can watch the players. We're completely disconnected from each other. And you can also hear it in them playing that there's no motion. Like nothing pushes or pulls back. It just has this one dimension to it. So... It's weird though thinking about playing like you're saying every other beat maybe to give yourself some wiggle room. I don't I don't know if that's better or if it invites more issues. Like I have no idea. It, it can go either way. I mean, we've definitely had sessions like we've had days where we've recorded two pieces in one day. Mm-hmm. And you you get to the tail end of that of each <laughs> of each one of them you're like yeah. I'm so fried. Yeah. Like we recorded silhouette and we recorded Silhouette and of Hanukkah, I think, in the same day. Um, and then we recorded Angelic Voices, the Gillingham, and mm-hmm. something else in the same day, and we were fried, dude. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying it's different with classical percussion. I'm definitely not saying it's harder. But most of us are sight-reading, uh, at first, like not sight reading, but like we hit, we can't all get together all at the same time, as you know, like with the groups you've played with. But mm-hmm. we'll do like a short rehearsal. Sight reading is the wrong term. We're prepared. We're prepared professionals. <laughs> okay, but we're definitely like on the fly, like rehearsing, putting this thing together to record it, and uh, it it takes a lot out of you. I'm not saying it's different than do going in and recording like a country song or something like that but i've definitely had an easier time oh it's different <laughs> yeah I mean, um, yeah i'm not trying to be like all this is way harder but it's pretty fucking hard so yeah it's it's a little different thing i think yeah i mean what i mean so like what, what's the plan for you now i mean like i know the fire's lit back up in you dude because you had a good time at PASIC and yeah. You you played well, and um, you know I'm sure that I'm, and I know you just posted that you were gonna start looking at getting more gigs. But mm-hmm. uh, are you gonna take that show around? Are you going to develop a new one? Are you going to do clinics? Like, what's the deal? 
Yeah, I want to find something that's like getting back to kind of what I said earlier about treating it as a job. You can punch in and punch out. And I don't mean that in a disrespect to the art way, but get get myself a program, a show, whatever you want to call it, that I can take around and not think about too much anymore. Like I've I've said this before and I've probably said it on here, too, is going from place to place and always changing my program and my set just to. Oh, I want to try this or whatever. And, and you're going out and you're trying new material and then you're figuring out where that's going to fit into your show. I like that. And I think at this point, though, I've like after however many numbers of pieces I've commissioned at this point and went out and tried and failed and had good ones, different orders of my show, I need to settle on something that's like replicable and do it for two years. You know, I, yeah. I just <clears throat> I'm at a point where. I haven't, I've never gone out on stage and felt comfortable, like, really. I mean, the most comfortable I felt, oddly enough, was PASIC. I only worked on that show for three weeks. It's the most prep time I've ever put into a single show in my life, you know? And it was three weeks, which is not, I mean, that doesn't speak very highly of my (laughs) preparation for some of these things. But it's just the reality of what it is. But I would love to just go out and replicate something night to night and not think so hard. So I've been sitting out diagramming like program orders and different ideas. Cause what I'm trying to do is figure out how I can move from piece to piece or whatever with, without having two marimbas on stage, two vibes. I just need to have one of every instrument that's accessible at, you know, definitely a university. But even if I go to a place in a town that has a university, it's not hard to bring those things over. Um, or if I got to bring a U-Haul truck, that's cool too. I mean, but what, who's to say you couldn't, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if you look at other art forms, other art forms get to do that. Like, think of it like a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to develop this special for two years, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to record it and then do another one. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't whatever stigma we have behind that. I mean, like, I'm if I'm if I'm Pius Chung and I'm playing, I don't know his Verona Portainer arrangement. I'm going to play the shit out of that all the time. Mm-hmm. At different places, I really I would because it's arguably like something. It's one of the many things he's known for, but it's, it's just an example. But I'm saying like I think as long as you're comfortable with doing it and doing it at a high level and knowing that you're going to do well at it and making tweaks here and refining this, by the time you get to the end, you could record it and put it out on YouTube and like make like this kind of high-level production where it's like this yeah this thing that's refined and ready to go yeah so i think this is a good this is a really good point and i, I think let me uh, <clears throat> let me think about that in a second so i'll make sure i come back to that what you're mm-hmm. talking about almost like recording a, a special but um <clears throat> this uh our relationship with with our material let's call it that or our tunes or our songs pieces Look at a lot of different art forms. Like, for instance, a band like The Who is going to play the same tunes that they played 30 years ago, and they're going to get the same pop from the audience, you know? And then we as... as And look at the other end of the spectrum. Like, you're talking about comedians. They do, like, two years, one year, and then it goes away forever, and they can literally never do that joke again. Yeah. So there's, like, the two extremes. Where in the middle of that are we? I think we can be all of them. Like, we can play the same stuff. I would love to play... Um, some of the pieces that I'm doing now in 20 years. And at the same time, 
it's fun to like bring in new things. But I think, I think kind of what you're saying is to go out and rock something every night. Yeah. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to show up, play the same show and tour it, get really, really good at it. But what's the point of doing that besides just giving a good show? Is there another payoff outside of it? Well, one could be to record an album, I guess, which I want to do, but I could record the album right now. I could learn the tunes, go to the studio and do it. And if I go out and tour those pieces for a year, how much better is my decay number two going to be in, in a year of touring? 3%, 5%, let's say that. It, it, was that like, is that, a, is that the point? I don't think so. So what is that end product going to be <clears throat> if I go out and tour something and really beat it into the ground? I guess it's, maybe it's a special, like you're talking about, like a fully shot thing, Do shoot it in three different venues, bring in a camera crew and, an, and the same audio tech, and shoot it in three different venues and put together this like live concert thing and put it out. I, I maybe that's I don't I don't remember <clears throat> any has that been done before? I don't know. I don't know. Cause we put out these pieces on YouTube, but they're doctored, they're you know, they're what never I mean? live. Yeah, and they're not and if they are live, I mean you might you might get a video from Trump or from the ARD competition with a couple camera angles. That they've put together, but it's like one piece, two pieces that people are playing in these competitions. But to actually go out and and say, here is like my 90-minute concert in its entirety, I think that would be really ballsy. Does that preclude you then later from playing those pieces again? Like a like a comedian releases it and you can't do it again? I don't think so. I think you go out and play the same damn, same damn pieces. No, um, I mean, uh, it's almost like hit songs. Yeah, so that's... That's an interesting idea, and I don't, I don't care to have that goal or any goal in mind at the end of it right now. All I care about is going out on the road and playing the same show for like two years because I just want to, I want to be able to go out and play music and have fun and not be stressed to hell, you know, about every night that I'm doing something tech going wrong. No, it's like we have it dialed in. We know what's gonna, what's going to happen. And I just want to go out and play and like, yeah, make money doing it, you know, instead of grovel, like think about the amount of time it takes to put a, a new concert together. And then you make a thousand, two thousand dollars. No, man, I want to be able to make that figure times 40 and go out yeah. on the road and do it. You know, you I mean, look, <clears throat> your position is you set yourself up for that. And, you know, you got the symphony stuff, too. But during everything, everything in that. um you're doing, and I think this is a good springboard into not necessarily changing the landscape, but like electronics are, are a huge part of what we do now and yeah. pretty much everything we do now. So like, I don't see why it, it also brings value is what I'm saying. It brings value to the audience that is watching it. It brings value to the university you know, students are going to watch it. It brings value to whoever else is going to have a seat in that theater and watch it because it's like, I keep thinking about the Sejourn where it's like, I remember talking to you after and I was like, man, I really like that piece. He's like, yeah. You're like, cause yeah, cause it almost like has a course yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. was to me, like we both have master's degrees in this and it's like, dude, I still like that. Like, if you play, <laughs> if you played like 
velocities, I'd be like, dope. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something about <laughs> there's something about when two worlds collide, like our world collides with, you know, what majority of the population listens to. I I have no problem being a huge fan of it. You know what I mean? So right. I don't you know, if that know, makes it, sense, but it does. I mean, <clears throat> programming something I think about a lot with all this, and I think I'm not I'm not even thinking this way anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. Gosh. No, you're good. You, Coffee and chocolate, just phlegm, <laughs> phlegm city up in here. No, you burned um, off with some whiskey behind you, pal. Yeah, no, I've had too much of that recently. Uh oh. No, I'm just kidding. I, I did a, I did a tasting competition recently, so I'm just oh, like, cool. Yeah, dude, I'm starting to get into wine. We'll, we'll come back to that. But oh, anyways, so thinking about programming with with all this kind of stuff. I used to think in those terms of like, this is what an, a, a lay audience or general audience would like. This is what an informed audience or whatever. And uh, I was really intentional about when I program thinking in those terms. I, I still get those results of kind of like, okay, I'm going to play a piece here that's accessible here, maybe one a little weirder, and bringing them in, bringing them out of those kinds of things. I still have the end result, but I don't think of them as like a general audience anymore. It just ends up being like, What's compelling? What do I like? What makes sense on stage? And a lot of these things end up falling in line with keeping people along for the ride, highs and lows and stuff like that. Because they but know you're, say, you're as invested as, <clears throat> as possibly could be, you know. Yeah. But I think, like, the pacing show, I went back and watched it, and I got really tired watching the show. Like, I was really tired playing the show, too. But um, I it was too much. Every piece with electronics with no breaks, I was like, oh, my God, this needed a break in, in there somewhere. And it was 45, 50 minutes straight, bro. I mean, that's yeah, that's a, it was running a freaking 5K. <laughs> like, I don't know if I've ever done. I mean, I've, I've actually done a 50 minute show. I've done a 50 minute continuous show like that before, but never with those kinds of physical demands. And also like the amount of notes in that show. It was it was so unbelievably <laughs> hard um but i uh i think when i'm when i'm going to program whatever whatever this like set program is going to be is going to have to have a couple of lulls in it and while i love the electronics thing i think that playing to tracks the entire time um it becomes it it becomes an assault on the ears it makes it makes me as a listener tired and i don't think that you that means that you have to avoid all electronics for the entire show. I think you can still do that, which is the thing that I, in in my core, I still want to have an all electronic show with lights and huge production. But if that show ever does happen with that amount of production, there has to be some like live looping or something else in there to break that up as opposed to just playing to tracks. Because it just it's just too much for the listener, even on a soft piece. It's like, it's just sound, it's like sound saturation. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I, I know exactly what you mean because do you think do you think you got tired because of a combination of it being continuous like that and very very thick or was it mm. we we're watching you get tired like dude I'm watching you get drip sweat over that snare drum like oh, yeah. you're you're just pouring sweat and it makes me it makes me wonder like am I getting tired with him? <laughs> you know, like, am I yeah. getting... <clears throat> is it, is it, like, I ask myself this too. 
God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to clear my throat again. Hang on. Go ahead. Is it a... The mic did not... Or did you uh, mute? I muted, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I try, always try to mute those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a mute button right here. That would be a lot you cooler. You could probably hotkey it anyway. Yeah. Right. But is there a... Um, I don't mean this any weird way. Is there a sexiness to the artist on stage being exhausted and the audience member watching them struggle but also feel comfortable that they're not going to fail like I, and, if you could portray that you're in control i think the audience is yeah but you look like you're about to fall off the freaking wagon everybody's like is he all right see <laughs> someone told me this is an interesting point because i knew how tired i was i uh i was really nervous for the show because of that session piece but I I felt the entire show like I was in control. I didn't feel like I could lose. Like there 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 are only a few shows I've ever played in my life where I was so in the zone. I was like, <clears throat> if someone came in this room right now, turn the lights off. I'm fine. Like I'm just gonna keep playing. You know, <clears throat> like you can't really mess you can't mess me up right now. Uh, and that's not a cocky thing. It's just you get into that flow state every once in a while. And I was there for Pasic, but someone came up to me after the show and said. I was never worried about you. And I was like, that's the best thing you could have said to me. Because wow. that's, that's how I felt. That's a huge compliment. Yeah. And <clears throat> I know that I looked like a bag of shit on stage. <laughs> like, <clears throat> after, the, after the first two pieces, I go over to the snare drum, and I am, you're right, I'm literally dripping. I'm rubbing my own sweat on the snare drum as I'm doing the hand stuff. And uh, I, I, I like that. I like the physicality of what it was. I think it was a little too much. Did you play sports um, growing up? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what it would make. That was. That's what it would remind me. Like I'm competing. Not, not competing. I'm. I think the 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 link to physicality with drumming with me is like, it makes me feel like I'm doing an athletic endeavor. Yes. You know? Like when I'm thinking about my programs going forward, for instance, definitely having two halves is good, and then putting pieces at the end of the half or at the end of the show that are super physically taxing, like, that's where to put those things so you have a break afterwards. But also, like, I want mo I want huge moments of struggle, of physical struggle on stage, not that are going to, like, destroy my joints and make it night-to-night -night hard to recreate. Like, if you're in good shape, I want to be able to just maintain myself in good shape and then do these things. But I'm looking right now to try to get a piece commissioned or something that's with drums and electronics, but that almost have me playing like Tycho style stuff and have the drums around me, but like far away, right? Because I think there is something to this idea of like struggling to hit something uh, that I want to explore in some sort of piece and find a composer that's the right composer to do it. Like uh, what I'm talking about too is a Greek tragedy, a piece for two snare drums and electronics. Somebody told me once, I was in a master class. And they were like, oh, to emphasize the dialogue, but the struggle of this, maybe you put the drums almost as far apart as you can so that you're almost not going to make it to the next drum mm -hmm. instead of having them next to each other. And they're like, that'll show a little bit more struggle. And I'm like, Fuck, that's a great idea. That is a great idea. So I'm trying to think that way in my head of like performative, but not performative for no reason, you know? Um, so I mean, well, The physicality adds to the... It makes the interpretation uh, more genuine. Like the audience yeah. in interpreting it is like, it, it just makes it, 
it doesn't make the interpretation more obvious. It just makes it more prominent. <clears throat> it makes it like, mm. like I can I can see a story being told here. Yes, yes. Versus versus I'm making up this artistic explanation in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's some pieces that you can't do it with, like Decay Number Two, which is the big piece in the middle of the stage with all the gear. It's like there's no room in that piece for me to do any to to add any more struggle. The struggle's built into how many instruments there are in the piece, and I don't need to act. I don't need to make faces or do something in that piece. I just think it's a beautiful piece of music. But, like, the first piece, you know, with all the theater stuff, n- not playing a single note, you know, that that depends on me adding that stuff in. Um, and then finding that fine line between those two extremes of all theater and no theater involved. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like spitballing right now about programming, but I think it's a really big thing for us to consider. And I feel like right now in, in me, I feel all of this potential for what could be like like a perfect program, which doesn't exist, but the chasing, the chase of the perfect program, right. I feel that in me now. And I have so many ideas that I'm like, I need to figure this out and take it on the road and see what people think. And then if I do it 20 shows of one of them, and it's like this really does need to change. Then I can change it, but not changing it after one show. No, no, give it, give it a few reps. You know? Yeah, that's interesting, man. It's good to see that. It's good to see like where this is going. It's exciting to see where this is going to go. Yeah, you know, and I think quality of pieces, man, is so important. Like, yeah. I feel so. I feel eighty-five percent about most of my stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that first piece in the program, that theater piece, I think is a badass piece. It is. It's, like, the coolest way to open a show for me is I just come out on stage, and it's just me standing there with my arms down. And you're just like, what is this guy doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I think I think it's hard to find quality pieces in the right order, with the right gear, with the right, rec- you know, all of that. It, it is a struggle. Well, I mean, if you're 85%, maybe that last 15 comes from a piece that doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. It might. Yeah. Or it could exist already. I don't know. I'd, it's a tough call. 15% doesn't seem like a lot, but it if you're really trying to go for 100, nobody I don't think ever gets to 100. No. Um, we definitely chase it still. And, and then another thing to consider, too. So I'm just like on a freaking roll right now. Go Sorry, man. I have no shortage of words. You already know this about me. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) this idea of like, like you're saying this, the last piece that I want is a big drummy piece, but I love like Raybon's. I think it's very cool. And I think Raybon's a, especially watch Kai play it with how gestural he is. Yeah. But everything is still pretty, pretty darn compact. And I think that's okay. But what I, like what I'm saying about having like a staged drum setup up and around and all over the place and treating it like Tycho that's built into the piece, not that you've added. Like, Kai has added those gestures to Raymond's. He's maximized that piece. But a piece that's already built that way, that then you have to further maximize. Um, Think about the longevity and the scale. This is an interesting thing we don't think about in percussion. And you can think of it in a few ways. Scalability. Scaling a piece for, in this case, bigger venues. Right? So I think finding pieces that could work in a stadium you know and in the extreme or a 2000 seat concert hall or a 200 seat black box theater and like a big motion piece 
theater pieces, all of these things are scalable, whereas like a vibraphone solo, I don't know. I don't know if that's scalable. Like, yeah, I think mic you it. might have to <laughs> mic it to hell. And then, like, what are you going to do? Add some visuals behind it? Like, you probably need that, you I, know? It makes me... Because a lot of people uh, cap their visions in the recital hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll cap their visions in the performance hall of, like, of their university or whatever, high school auditorium or... I. I think you could take a lot of inspiration from some of these Cirque productions, mm. um, particularly like, of course, you know, as everybody knows, and I won't shut up about it. I used to live in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> and so when I lived in Las Vegas, I would go see these, my buddies playing these shows. Um, my teacher, um, Kurt Rasmussen, he would go, he like wrote all these like drum parts on stage for these performers who were not percussionists, but they're still playing in time and they're making this big theatrical, it's almost mm -hmm. borderline Tycho, right? And taking a lot of inspiration from those Cirque productions I think would be beneficial because those are actors first. Yeah. You're a percussionist first. So how could you apply the theatrics to a more percussive background? Mm -hmm. That's That's a good idea. Yeah, the, the, those are some of the top performers in general in the world. So, yeah, and they're they're playing. I don't even know how big those uh, theaters are. Three thousand, maybe thirty five hundred. I would have to look that up. But Ka yeah. has that. O has that. Um, Mystere a little bit. That one's super weird. Um, but you know, it's just, just an idea. It's an point of reference at least. Mm -hmm. And I like how you're not just capping it at university recital hall. Yeah. I, I getting stuck in that cycle is, and now I get it. People are just looking for places to perform and everything like that. But I, I think unless it's, unless it's like this kind of game changing, like it's to me, the best recital Hall performance I've ever seen in my life was John Hadfield and Shane Shanahan. It was frame drum and mm -hmm. and uh, Tibetan throat singing and like it was it was yeah. wild. But like you can you can get anything bigger than recital hall for that. As cool as it was to us, mm -hmm. you know the, there there's a lot to be said about like the online presence too of maybe doing a video first of that. Yeah. And then seeing where it can lead, because dude, I was driving around downtown Houston yesterday, and I was like, "Where did that theater come from?" They're just theaters <laughs> popping up all over this place, these places. Yeah, and it makes me wonder because I definitely, I definitely want to get back into like, I'm I'm doing a kind of a concert series in the spring of some new music and everything, and it's probably going to give me the bug back as well. Mm -hmm. I'm in such a teacher mode for the past two years. It's like, I need, I think I need to get, maybe this kid, this is what you went through, but it just feel, I feel comfortable. You know, yeah. like I kind of miss feeling uncomfortable. Mm. I kind of miss the pressure a little bit. I'm with you right now though. I mean, with this, with the orchestra thing that I'm doing. Well, yeah. I have like this level of comfort and it's, 
I felt comfortable. When did I feel comfortable? I mean, I when I got out of school, I was teaching at Kent. I was doing a lot of jobs. I think I was more busy than I was comfortable. And mm. then I had to decide, like, <clears throat> I was still comfortable. I was making enough money. But I had to decide, like, I'm going to let everything go, go hard into the performance thing. I did. And then COVID. Then you have to find money. And then you get comfortable. And now I'm like, I need to break out of this comfort. But I just got a contract with an orchestra for a year, you know? Like, shit. Um, a year goes by quicker than I this it does. Is, getting older is... Oh, I'm I'm 27, but it's like getting older, man. Time just it goes by quick. Yeah, maybe because you I expect more things these days. But I mean, this sem- this past semester went by so fast; it was mm-hmm. ridiculous, and it's just a blur. And I, I I think I think a year to me, like I I my plan was only a year, maybe two, and I'm in year mm-hmm. two right now. And I miss a little bit of that, like, artistic. Uh, I'm not feeding my artistic side. Yeah. Admittedly. Um, I'll feed it every once in a while. I'll give it a little nibble. That's about it. And then I'm like, all right, let's go play some video games. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. Like, it's yeah, it's tough right now. But to your point about that, because, t- I mean, you're right. Time, every year, time goes faster and faster. And uh, it makes sense to me why a lot of people get comfortable and then never do anything yeah because it's like it starts the snowball starts going and you're like oh man i'm too far along you know i'm too far along to change anything and i it is scary like my my wife did it my wife jumped out of a career and into a new one a few years ago and that's how it was hard for her you know like wrestling with that and um like there, there are there are different gradations of making that jump like there, there are complete career changes. There are smaller changes, um, and for me right now, like I, there's a decision I'm trying to make. Like you are, I think, which is like I'm doing this whiskey thing. I see the writing on the wall of how much work. If I, if I, if I put the time in, I know what the result is because there's no gatekeeper online right. for the growth of this stuff, and that equals. It's not about the money, but eventually the dollars and cents will heavily pay off. Um, like give me two years from right now, and if I do six hours a day of whiskey content, I'll be making a lot of money in two years. Yeah. Um, but that would be at the expense of like this other artistic side of me that I've worked my whole life for. So like, and all the while I'm comfy right now in an orchestra. <laughs> it's like, so I don't know what to do, and I'm kind of with you. Like I'm having this, I'm having an identity crisis right now, and I love talking to you about all of this programming and new music, and and it's like. I'm scared. I'm not going to do it. Well, we talked a little bit, a little bit about this at pacing about the identity thing. It's like, yeah, I don't know what my identity is. There's several people that I know these days who don't know, and they've been around a while and it's like, they don't know what their identity is either. Mm-hmm. And not that you need one per se, you could just offer your, I guess, skill set in multiple mm-hmm. areas. But you know, there's people who are like, I'm a composer. It's like, yeah, you're a really good one. Uh, you're a performer. You're a really good one. You're an educator. You're a really good one. I don't, I, I guess I'm maybe scared of labels. I don't know what to, what to, like if somebody was like, oh, you're the podcaster. Like, I don't see any problem with that. But 
until I start thinking about like why we all get into this in the first place, and it's like it's playing, you know. So that's where that's where it gets it gets interesting. It's like okay, well, you know, I, you almost like want to make sure that you know what you're talking about, that like you can back up what you can say, you know, what you what you say, and like that to me, that's always been an issue, and everybody who's listened to this podcast for years knows the imposter syndrome discussion, but, um, you know, you, that artistic style start, it starts speaking to you in a way that it's like, why aren't you, or you need to feed me, bro. Like what, mm-hmm. what's, what's going on? And, you know, you start watching some, some videos or performances that got you stoked back years ago. You're like, man, mm-hmm. there it is. I can feel it. But, you know, I got all this because of that. You know, but I also, what would life be like if I didn't have all this, but I had the full artistic side? I think that's what any creative battles with is like, at least the whiskey thing is creative. You know, at least it's, you're enjoying something that is also Mm -hmm. an artistic outlet in, in a way. Creating videos and content is artistic, like. Yeah. Do I think being a day to day in the life influencer is takes that much talent? No, but it is a creative outlet where you just you're it creating. Takes time. It takes time, and you know, setting up a tripod and being like, "I here's yeah, me doing yeah. laundry." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's but like that's the thing about all of it, though. Is like it it just comes down to the time discussion, you know. And it's like my ADHD kicking in that I want to do too many things. Me too. And that's um. I, I often wonder, is it because, like, I don't have diagnosed ADHD. I would bet a lot of money that I have that. I kind of want to take the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, do. <laughs> Sarah tells me all the time, like, oh, of course you do. But uh, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, that's my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, but I often wonder if, if this is, I don't want to get, like, too philosophical, but if my going in too many directions or whatever and not having enough time, if I do that to myself to avoid ever getting to the end of something, I know nothing ever has an end. You never have a top that you get to, but by splitting myself into another avenue, am I now avoiding a success in a certain field because I'm afraid of getting there because <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I do a project, I get 80%, 85% done and I don't finish that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and right there with you. Why is that? I think it's fear. I think there's fear of the end. And then I think like, is the that fear of the end related to like mortality? This is super deep, you know? No, but, it is deep, but the finality of it. Yes. The finality of it is I've submitted this, like I've finished this. I can't do anything to change it now. I, yeah. I can't make it better. It is just, it just is what it is. It may just be a constant like I'm I'm trying to get better and better and better and better. But the finality of finishing something is like then it's the dread of starting another thing. But not even not even finishing something. You're talking projects. I mean like holistically, like you as a performer. Oh, right, right. Like you going just at a path that has no end. You know it has no end, but is the reason that you don't pursue it entirely, not only because of comfort somewhere else, but because of the fear of going deeper into that. You're like, for me, that's the thing is like, I'm, I want to go into this solo thing, but I'm like, Oh, here's whiskey, mm. you know? And it's like, 
and now I'm not going to, I'm not doing either of them at a high level. Yeah. I'm you're, just, I'm like in the middle doing this. You're bet. You're, you're almost like there. Each one has its own little treat that you want. Like I would love that. And I would love that. Mm-hmm. And you're left there like, well, I'm also fine with suffering. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you literally are making more suffering for yourself. Yeah. It's so weird. And I, I see this in myself playing out, and I've heard other people talk about it. I, you see it on a smaller scale with yourself. Like, I don't know about you, when I would like finish, when I would do a school project, and you're like, let's say you're writing a paper, and you get to the end, you've written a badass paper, you get to the conclusion, and you just like poop out the conclusion. Yeah. Because you're like, ah, I just want to be done with this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you were so close, man. And then you bailed, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's. It's like sewing. It's like knitting a quilt or whatever, and you're getting to the end, and the edges just look like they're all frayed <laughs> out. It's a gorgeous quilt. It's a beautiful quilt, except for you look out. The edges look like somebody took a weed whacker to them. And it's, but is that, is that something that separates like good from great? The the great people are the people that can go all the way to the end of something. Like I, don't know. I, I think that might be a defining factor of of greatness, and it's like. Or Maybe are, that's something to chase. Are the are the errors and the stuff that they miss are not at the end like ours, or like they're not rushed, but it's all it's spread oh. out sporadically. Like it's not just a a fifteen percent at the end. It's right. that fifteen percent, but sprinkled out throughout the entire thing. But they got to the end. But they got to the end. Right. That's that's an interesting way of looking at that. Yeah. I don't know, but. I, I this is why, man, I'm so grateful for for COVID having happened. I really am because like wrestling with a lot of this stuff, whether it's identity or projects or whatever else, I I needed something like that to happen to wrestle with this, you know, and uh, yeah. this for me personally would have everything like this would have come crashing down at some point in my life. But I would have been in something what I would consider to be too deep at that point. Right. And it would have been even more traumatic than right now, just getting this shit out of the way and dealing with all of my inner turmoil right now, <laughs> you know, or like a, a good chunk of it. <laughs> well, I, I found myself practicing more simplicity in thoughts mm-hmm. and decision making. Yeah. And I, to me, feel like I just overthink things in general, but this the the term ripping the bandaid off or the mm. the saying ripping the bandaid off just it speaks to me in volumes it's a very simple saying and it's kind of corny but it's like just rip the bandaid off and see what happens yeah you know it could hurt it could be fine it could be healed it could be not healed like it just and i think my thought process is i go too deep like it's like okay well if i go this route what about money and it's like well you have all this money saved well, it's like, yeah, but then, you know, I'd have to spend it. And it's like, yeah, that's why you saved it, moron. And then you get in like this, <laughs> you get into this conversation with yourself. And then you start thinking, I'm like, well, then I'm going to be 75 on my deathbed and just being like, I should have done it, you know? So, or it's like, or I was 75 on my deathbed. I'm like, man, I'm sure glad I didn't do that. And so it's just a constant kind of mental conversation with myself. But it makes me wonder what 2023 is going to look like. This is supposed mm-hmm. to be an end of the year special episode, but <laughs> I'm just going to title it that, and people can figure it out on their own. And then um, if they get to hour two, whatever this is, hour uh, two, minute yeah. thirty five, you know, they're like, "Wait <laughs> a second, to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, there it is." Yeah, but 
it makes me wonder what 2023 is going to look like because I'm anticipating change. Um, mm-hmm. I ha- I feel it in my bones. And we, we both know what a possible situation could be for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what that will bring, but if it does, it would be, it would be cool. But I'm also, I'm anticipating change regardless. Mm-hmm. I think you get that intuition, that gut feeling that something's going to happen. And it usually does. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. What do you, what's your feelings going into it? The Just new the new year. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm excited, man. I, I'm thinking about simplicity too. That's it's like I'm glad you said that because <clears throat> I've dialed things back. Uh, I I quit my job at Capital. I quit teaching at Capital. You know, I did a sem- did this last semester, and I just oh, I didn't decided, know you. Did. I didn't know you did. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons for it for sure. We don't need to get into it, but at the at the end of the day, it was taking one of my seven days of my week. That that was like the 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 exchange going on and. The, and if you're going to take one full day from me, um, which I signed up for, like, I, it's not like they took it from me. I, I gave it to them <laughs> for a very low cost, you right. know, but at, looking at it at the end of the semester was like, there is absolutely no way I can keep doing this. My stuff was sp- spread out enough in the day that it literally took the whole day, but breaks weren't long enough to get it, uh, extra work done. So it wasn't great. Um, so I, I quit capital, um, doing the orchestra thing, obviously on a contract now. Uh, through the summer, which is great, and there may or may not be an audition there at the end of the summer. So if that happens, then I have to be ready for an orchestra audition, which I've never done. So I, I need to make sure I have that free time. At the same time, I just want free time for myself to be more creative and and everything like that. So I've tried to simplify. So all I'm doing right now is orchestra and drums and drams. And then like soloistic stuff is going to be, like solo percussion is going to be the extra cherry on top, you know? Right. But... I just wanted to, to dial things back. I I cut out like basically my to do list is almost empty. I almost have no to do list. This has never happened in my life. Whoa! I, I just needed. To, Let me know what that feels like. I'm I'm so close, dude. And and I've I've needed this for a long time to see like what happens. This this is a fear. I'm scared of what happens when the to do list goes away. So like it, it's it's my first. It's my first actual face-to-face battle with what I'm talking about, that 85%. Like, the 15%'s always been f- that I have this long-ass to-do list, for instance. So if I eliminate that, what happens? I'm, I'm scared of what happens when I have all this free time. Free time. I don't, yeah. And not filling that with another hobby. Like, I don't need another damn hobby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I want to take that time and maximize something else or, like, really prioritize my life in a better way. So... I'm I'm very excited, man, to like what you're saying, but I'm also scared. Me too. And I, but I think fear is fear's good. And I think fear is fuel. I think so too. I I ultimately I've used fear as fuel for inadvertently for most of my adult life. Yeah. Fear of failure, fear of being broke, fear of I guess fear of failure in general is is the unleaded fuel. But yeah, is is fear like and again, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to ask deep questions for the sake of just being a turd. Like, is fear one step down from the ultimate, which is like doing something out of fear 
or feel a fear of failure, a fear of public embarrassment on stage, is the step right above that uh, self-fulfillment. Like instead of doing something for fear, just purely doing something for yourself. When people say like, do what you enjoy, and then things will come along if you maximize what you enjoy and get really good at it. And is fear like the lazy approach, which I find myself in, then is that great step just pure self-fulfillment with no fear? I don't know. Uh, fulfillment is the interesting term to me mm. because I feel like it changes. I don't know if I've ever felt it, full self-fulfillment, to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> that That is... Yeah. How do I get there? And then I guess the only way you get there is just by trying new experiences. And I think some people have gotten there quicker than others. Mm -hmm. And maybe I just haven't gotten there yet. But I don't think it's a... So that's, that's interesting, talking about self-fulfillment as a almost a place of permanence like you're talking about. I think of it as like a point on a continuing line to infinity, like... I don't think you're ever always going to be self-fulfilled. You're not going to be like, I feel fulfilled today, you know? But there are moments of that fulfillment. Like, for me, after playing at PASIC, wrong notes and all, I felt like, fuck yes. That was as good as that could have ever been, given the circumstances and the prep time I put into it, and I felt great about it. And then the next day, that goes away. But it's like, in that moment, I felt self-fulfillment. But, like, more broadly speaking, you can't live in self-fulfillment. No. You know? But you live, but but what you do live in in the day to day. I think there's a battle between: do you live in fear or do you live in the pursuit of self fulfillment? You know what I mean? Like, is the fear the driver to the self fulfillment? In the case of Pasic, it was for me. Right. I was driven by the fear of failing on stage, as opposed to going saying to myself, "Just go out and do what you know how to do, man." It's a, it's the power of the mindset. It, yeah. It's a power of practicing practicing gratitude, which is what you know all these like self development people preach is like going into it practicing like I am thankful for this opportunity, regardless of what happens, mm -hmm. or like um, I am thankful for this experience, no matter it doesn't matter how bad it is, you know, I can see the positives of this experience versus like. Am I going to do this because I'm scared of this, or am I going to do this because I, I personally, for being 100% honest, I think my most recent, like, my job was driven by like I'm the pandemic was going on, and I'm like I'm afraid to be broke. Yeah, I'm yeah. afraid to do this, and like I don't think I'm a bad teacher at all. I feel like I've I've outperformed the uh, the previous. God before me, not that it's, not that it's about, about that, but, mm -hmm. you know, I know, I know how to motivate students and I know what works and what doesn't these days. And I feel like I'm a, I'm a good teacher. It's just a matter of like, why am I doing it right now? Yeah. Right. And, um, and you know, it, Will the next step be out of fear or will it be out of that self-fulfillment mm. journey? 
I think it will be just based on everything that I've learned about myself in the past year and making an effort to being a better person overall, a better musician, a better brother, a better son, better whatever, a better partner for the future partner, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, going through heartbreak, man, that'll make you like, you want to talk about fear. That's a fear that's onset onto you. Uh, That's a fear that's onset involuntarily. Not that fear is always voluntary, but it's it's all of a sudden, it's abrupt. It's like, Mm -hmm. boom, here's what happens, you know, and you got to go through this now and you got to go through this molting of into the new person that you're going to be. Are you going to let it kick your ass or are you going to let it mm. make you better and learn from your mistakes and whatever? But, um, you know, I, I, I've been back in the gym. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And it's, I've gotten, this is the best head start I've gotten into a new year. And I would, if you would have asked me last December what this would have looked like, I, it would probably be the exact opposite. But yeah. it's just, it's that mindset change. It's that simplicity that we're talking about. And maybe the theme of this podcast, this conversation is just make everything more simple. Mm-hmm. Decision-making mindset. Like I just, I find it, this is the best head start I've had into a new year, I think. And I think right around PASIC is where everything started to click for me. And I'm like, man, I'm very fortunate. Mm-hmm. No matter, no matter if I don't know who I am or not in this community, but I'm very fortunate and grateful to be a part of this in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. I get to play drums. I get to play percussion. I get to meet people who play percussion. I get to hang out with Cameron Leach at Capitol Grill and spend way too much money. And that food was (laughs) fire. Um, (laughs) Rachel, if you're listening, I miss you. (laughs) The waitress. (laughs) Um, But that's where it started to click for me. This whole like simple, just practicing gratitude thing. I, I'm, I, the reason why I'm saying it's going to be less, the next thing is going to be less out of fear. Um, is because of that. I think Mm -hmm. just framework. I'm setting myself up for no matter what happens, at least I have this new mindset. You know what I mean? Man, there's, there's a lot of great stuff in what you said. And, it made me think of um, the most recent episode that David Goggins did with Joe Rogan. I listened to he, it, yeah. There was a, a phrase in there that is ex- exactly like you're talking about going to the gym, <clears throat> kind of setting up what I'm what I'm trying to call for myself, which is something I'm working on right now, is a protocol, you know? And I think thinking of it as finding a word uh, that makes it feel less personal, right? So... Like a routine feels very personal to me. A schedule feels personal. Protocol is like this has to happen. No matter right? what. No matter what. And and the phrase that David Goggins said was perform without purpose. And I fucking cannot get enough of that right now. And I'm uh-huh. trying to in, in, integrate that, which is like it doesn't Don't practice because you have a gig. Practice, be, practice to practice. Practice to be great. Practice to be ready for any gig at any time. And the same goes for working out and eating and supplements and all that stuff. And like, I've been trying to ingrain that into my mind. What he said, I think I just that those three words, man, 
It's like, that's what I want to live my new year by and, and have a protocol and, and remove myself personally from it. And just like, my wife is so great because she gets out of bed, 6 a.m. hits, and there's not a question if she's getting out of bed. She's just up. And it's like, she's figured it out. She's <laughs> yeah. got the morning protocol. Let's call it not routine. You know, she's got her morning protocol she does from 6 to 9 every day. It's like, I'm, I'm aspiring to that. And what's cool is I get to see it. I get to see an example for myself while my lazy ass is still get in bed snoozing. Well, the fi- it becomes part of the fiber of who you are. Yeah. Because then there's just some, there's non-negotiables that we, that we set for ourselves. Oh, I like that. Non-negotiables. Non-negotiables that we set for ourselves in life's contract of, like, especially when we were coming up. Like we were studying or practicing or whatever. Like I'm going to, I have to, I'm, I'm going to practice today, but like, why would I not do that for like health? Yeah. Why would I not do that for my mental? The fragility of my, we all know the fragility of my mental state on this podcast. I have a damn series called mental health and the musicians, but it took me so, it took me until age 26 and 27 to figure that out. If I put the same amount of effort into myself as I did my craft imagine how much better the craft will be Mm. the non-negotiables dude think about that because what's another word for non like requirements but non-negotiable speaks to the fact that we negotiate these things in our mind like yeah well I'll just do a little bit and then you know kind of the non-negotiable I love that man yeah the non-negotiables it's almost like you're Mm. it's almost like you're metaphorically signing a lifetime contract with yourself. Yeah. But the reframing, self- man. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I would just... Dean used to always say, and you finally got to meet Dean. I was stoked about that. Oh, he's um, great. <laughs> he's awesome. He he always talked about the self one and the self two. Uh-huh. We can be two people arguing against each other at once in our mind. Mm. That conversation probably that conversation sparks immediately when it's 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. And self one is like, why would I get out of, no, there's no purpose. It's not, nobody's going to live forever. Why would you go get up and work out? Self two is like, well, it's just what we do. Like, shut the hell up. Like, we're going to go do it. And self one's like, no, I don't think we will. And self two is like, yeah, I think we will. And it's just this battle. Mm-hmm. And, I think self two is going to dominate the conversation this year. Yeah. From what I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, and stuff happens, but like, I think I'm more prepared now than I ever have been for just the unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, pretty, man. it's pretty exciting. It is exciting. You know, what else was exciting was that capital grill food. dude. Oh my God. Dude, it was Crust. great. Okay. <clears throat> couple and a couple things too, that, help you help me practice gratitude or whatever, or, or just feeling like those moments when you just get where you just kind of look around and go like, man, I'm here, you know, I'm doing this. This is the thing that's happening to me right now. Cap, like, like great food, great friends, experiences, those moments, like hanging out with you at PASIC was a blast going to Capitol grill. Like, I know that's so cheesy. It's a chain, but it's a chain with very good, very expensive food. Yes. Insane dude. Like that, that was the perfect thing I needed that night. Yeah. It's like the perfect moment was you and I at that table and the waitress was hilarious. You know, like everything in that moment was, it was like beautiful. And, it was. Um, and it's exactly what was needed. And then also 
moments like in the hotel room with the whiskey with you know for those of you guys listening like we were in a hotel we ended up in a hotel room it was like mark bozeman ivan trevino uh nate worth from snarky and uh ghost note spot the ghost note drummer and uh some other fo- drew tucker obviously was up there me you and then and my buddy ty who just ty. Like, found us yeah and we were all like in my hotel room, I brought a bunch of whiskey, and that was like the uh, what, what's the word catalyst to like bring all of us together into this room together, drinking whiskey, and you're just looking around like, what is happening right now, man? Having a full on conversation with, like, <laughs> in that having a full on conversation with heroes. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Not to be too fanboy about it, but I mean, like. <sighs> inspirations i mean influences in my drumming in my life like yeah and they couldn't have been cooler bro I know. like that's what got me most stoked about it was nate was so cool man talking yeah. to us for i don't even know how long an hour like yeah something like that and i to have one of my closest friends there with me like ty just found me and i was like bro come yeah. here we went to, we went to school together and and uh He's at LSU doing his doctorate now, and I was like, bro, come on, come hang out. And, you know, Drew was there, and you were there, and it was just like, it was a surreal moment. Um, Yes. I hadn't felt that in quite some time. Yeah. How surreal that was. It it was in, and what was great is like, you know, in those moments, part of you wants to make it about you, like in fanboy and like just attached to this, you know, this celebrity in the room or whatever. And I, I know that about myself. Like, I can just be too much or what I can, as a safety mechanism or defense mechanism, I just go too hard into something like that. And to just stand back and, like, watch and observe and really, like, try try to participate as little as possible and just be in that room. And to the couple words Spot and I exchanged, you know? You were present. It was fucking wild, man. You were, and, you were present. That's what, that's what I felt. I felt present. Yeah. I was, didn't that feel... the same, was that the same night as the Capitol Grill or a different night? I can't remember. That was a different night. Because, like, I left PASIC this year. Usually I go to PASIC and I don't really have a good time, man. Like, I get in my head about what I'm there for because I'm, I'm there to be about – I was always there to be about me, to be about my career and making – and networking. And I had someone come up to me at this PASIC. And uh, this is kind of when I knew things – were different for me. I mean, I went into it with a different mindset for sure. I was also playing, but they came up to me and they'll remain unnamed. And they said like, Hey man, how's the networking going? And I was like, what a presumptuous thing to say. Like I was like, uh, and any other year I would have been like, well, it's pretty well. I've talked to this person and I think I might get a gig from this. They said it to me and I want, I walked away. I was like, I got to get away from this person because it was. And then I kind of realized like, I am being, I'm here for a different reason. And then what happened, man? Great show. Two incredible nights after that. One, you know, the, the Capitol Grill, the spot, like these moments. It's it, like, shit. Power of the mindset, man, is. Yeah. I went into it just, I went into I was also doing some work for Sabian, but I just had a blast doing that too. Like, yeah. I just, Mark Reynolds, man, that dude, I am thankful for that dude. I met that dude in February this past year. And, like, he has definitely changed my life. Mark Reynolds, director of Saving Education, like, that dude. Oh, yeah. That dude is a life changer. Like, he's 
highly respected throughout the entire industry. Anyone you like, we were at DCI um, doing this little DCI tour. We went and hung out with Vanguard. We went and hung, you know, hung out with the Renix, and we went to DCI San Antonio. And uh, everybody this dude saw who knew him was just they they just loved him. Yeah, and like that's surrounding yourself with good people. Or I think maybe the universe or whatever, whoever bringing you to those people, um, that definitely that definitely helps you kind of put things into perspective. Because um, I mean, otherwise, I mean, the the year could have been pretty tumultuous for me. You know, I went through a breakup, and I went through you know, there's other parts of my life that I'm not a huge fan of right now. But yeah. It could have been so much worse, man. But I just had such a good time at at Pacing, and like I said, it was kind of like a like a a melding of all of what I had been working on the entire year come together. And I just I didn't go into it with any agenda besides doing good work for saving and just hanging out, man. Like it's <laughs> it was such a good time. And then you just kind of look at I didn't care about the weather. I didn't care about anything. I just was, I was vibing for lack of a better term, but yeah, man, that is, that was the first time everybody that uh, Cam and I hung out in person. Yeah. Ever. After like two and a half years. Didn't feel like a new thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, I think we're the same person. Um, It's it's, it's pretty close. Weird. (laughs) I think uh, we also watched the UFC fight. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. And we were, exhausted like we're oh both like <laughs> <laughs> on that couch in my room yeah, yeah. oh that was funny man that was saturday night it was a michael yeah. chandler fight that was so fun. i forgot we did that man dude that was the capital grill night I it think, was right? capital grill night yeah yeah because we were at the end of everything that was a saturday night yeah and we were like we were gonna go somewhere else i thought and then we ended up just like not going, or someone was going to come to the room, something like that. Somebody, something like that. Yeah, we were just. It was like, no, we can't do anything right now. <laughs> Plus, some... dude, we had just eaten like that the creamiest mac and cheese on lobster planet mac. Earth. Lobster <laughs> mac, and then we had. Uh, what was the other app we had? Oysters. Oysters. Um, I had that mushroom crab crusted, cake. mushroom and crab. balsamic crusted. Filet. Porcini, dude. I remember yeah. this. Because I've, I've told Sarah about that steak that you had. I'm like, we got to go to Capitol <laughs> it's Grill unbelievable. and get this steak. <laughs> it was so... I mean, I thought... I'm a, I'm an Oscar kind of guy. I love that crab on top. Yeah. I know it's like maybe not as proper or whatever. But I just love seafood. If I, can get it, if I can have my cake and eat it too. But dude, I tasted yours. I'm like, damn it. This is so good. <laughs> Oh my gosh, dude! I gotta. I've been trying to find one to go back to myself. I don't. You have you have them around you, probably right? Probably, yeah. Houston's got steakhouses. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what did what was it? Was that like a hundred and fifty or two hundred dollar meal? I can't remember. Mine was like one one forty. Yeah. Okay. You got a full bottle of wine, I think. Or no, you got two glasses of wine. I got a yes. I got a old fashioned. That's right, man. I mean. Some people are like, some people have it in them to never spend a lot of money when they go out. Like they have a limit of, you know, whatever. And I, I respect those people. I get it. But I love every once in a while going out and 
dropping that amount of money, not for the sake of doing it, but for like when you when you drop it and you get the result that we got, that is when you're like, yes, <laughs> I hit the mother it, load. <laughs> it was it was like going five for five in the yes. World Series. Like <laughs> everything t- was right. <laughs> everything just went. I went. I hit for the cycle and I hit a, I hit a grand slam. Like it was. That was baller, dude. That and I think, and, and not to get too deep about it, but I think that dinner was symbolic in some ways for each of yes. us. Yes. Um. Just everything coming together. I mean. Yeah. I think it was. Uh, I look fondly upon that. Like I think I will for a long time, just based on what it, I think it 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 started and what it represented, and also what is going to come. You know. Um, I, I good vibes going into 2023, my friend. Is yeah. I, I went through three weeks of hell of work after that, but uh-huh. got through it, and it was I was still I'm still good. Like I go back on Monday, but these past two weeks of being on break and everything has been really good for me as well. So it's things are things are going to be good, man. I think. I think there's going to be have to another capital grill in order for us next oh, yeah. year. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. I just have a good thing. I'm not trying to jinx it, but I'll go there you know. every year. <laughs> Dude, straight <laughs> up. Sit in that same seat. You know, they're like, yeah. "Oh, we don't when we came in, they're like, we don't have any room in the dining room, but we you can we can see you here." I'm thinking like and and you know, you and I didn't know exactly where we were going to go. We were kind of walking around wondering and it's like then they say, "Oh, no room in here, but sit here." It's like, "Ah, oh, okay. So how's this going to be?" And then it was boom, 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 boom everything well it started with you just being like dude i want to go spend some money let's go because <laughs> the last time i did that at PASIC, the last time we did that at PASIC was my five years ago with my other my other friend kyle we did we said the same thing we ended up somewhere and we had in the same experience it was like one night we're like let's just go spend a bunch of money dude yeah but kyle and, peters and, right yeah and yeah we ended up in the steak another steakhouse same exact experience and it's like i look back on that five years you know, five years later and I still think about it and it's like, I'll look five years from now on what, what you and I did. Yeah. It really, it's so funny, man, but this is the same thing for like food or a bottle of wine or whiskey. Some people don't understand, but there, it sometimes like it is about the people you're with, of course, but the event itself can be the food. It can be the whiskey, the drink, whatever, because it's like who you're with and everything else around it. You don't have to go ride a roller coaster to have a good time. You know what I'm saying? Oh Yeah. It's like these moments are just to stop and be present in those moments is so, so good. Being present, man, that is, Ugh. that is invaluable and it's hard yeah. to do. And, um, man, I, I appreciate you as a friend, man. Like there, there has been, there's nothing but good vibes and good, uh, projections for, 2023 i wish you nothing but success and in anything you do you and you and your missus and it's it's gonna be a good one man i uh i'm looking forward to it and uh i i hope the same for everybody listening man it's uh i I have a lot of cool things i want to do with the podcast and i appreciate everybody um tuning in if you're new i appreciate it uh been getting a lot of uh, new people in and I'm super thankful for that. Um, I need to get back to more frequent posting. I, I have made a few new episodes more frequently recently, but, uh, it's time to get back to that. And, um, 
knockout 2023. Um, I, I any, wish you all the best non-negotiables and protocols. Let's go. In 2023. <laughs> non-negotiables, man. Live by your protocol and, uh, and get, get shit done. That's, yeah. that's what I plan on doing. But um, happy new year, everybody. Uh, and this is just going to be good stuff, man. Uh, happy new year. Make sure you follow Cam on uh, Instagram at Sea Leech Music and follow Drums and Drams on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, like, do all that good stuff for uh, his platforms and the Rumo Pod. Um, that's about all I got. Follow me at Hartwell Drums and be on the lookout for some more podcasts. It's going to be a good time. Happy New Year, everybody. That's it for this one. We'll see you next time.